What is author marketing mastery through optimization, you ask? I'm going to tell you. It's the best way for us authors to make a living selling our books. Are you tired of hearing gurus tell you your book is only good enough to be a lead magnet for services? Are you tired of feeling like you have to be a slave to social media and then frustrated when that time doesn't actually help you sell books? I was too, until I found Ammo. Ammo is the only program that reliably produces results and it works for anyone. Is it hard work? You bet. Do you have to overcome some of your own prejudices to make Ammo work for you? Absolutely. But rather than being another program that rah-rah shish-goombahs tries to get you emotionally excited only to offer unclear methods, Ammo shows you how to design profitable ads step-by-step through a unique, never-before-tested formula. The founder, Steve Piper, is a data-loving, formula-driven author who escaped the kingdom of Amazon to build a platform for himself where he sold directly to his readers and built a loyal following. With Ammo, you know who's reading your books, how to contact them, and what they want to read next. If you've always been frustrated with Amazon's wall of mystery, of not knowing who's reading your books, of losing 50 to 70% of the hard-earned money you make through book sales, Ammo solves all of those problems by putting you in the driver's seat and showing you how to fulfill your books directly to your readerships. Click the link in the show notes to learn more. For you, today is Monday. For me, it is Friday morning, leading into the three-day Burt County Fair weekend. My children will be riding clunkety, clunkety, clankety, old carny rides all weekend and sweating and eating funnel cake. It's going to be a blast. I love the fair. There's also a parade on Sunday where everybody in town who owns a business throws candy at children and people who own successful businesses throw popsicles. You know, those ones that are in plastic sleeves that you have to either like cut open or if you're super in the know, you just snap in half. Juicy, delicious little popsicle sticks. Anyway, that is my fate for the weekend. And by the time you're listening to this, I'll probably be exhausted. I might even be laying in bed trying to recover from chasing children around. But funnel cakes are delicious. Don't let anybody tell you different. We're going to get right into the episode this week. Uh, Based on my responsibilities, I was unable to do a ton to move my library project forward. And so I thought about this on Wednesday and just realized it was a perfect idea. I'm going to give you the first six chapters of The Nine Lives of Marva DeLonghi for free. It's a, it's a little bit like a drug dealer. I'm giving you a sample of the product, knowing that it's so good. Once you listen to this, you're going to want to get the whole thing and just binge deeply. Uh, I don't tend to enjoy trigger warnings of any sort, but for sensitive listeners, I do want you to know that the final chapter of this sample does have some pretty intense violence. So if you're concerned about any sort of violence, you might want to skip that part and never buy this book or understand that the violence really represents, I think, something important about humanity. I included it because I believe that it's an absolutely necessary scene and that in life, it's good to confront things that are uncomfortable. 
so this is read by Xe Sands. She's won awards. She's the same narrator who reads for people like Paul Tremblay, Joyce Carol Oates, Chuck Wendig, Jeff Vandermeer. If you don't know any of those names, you probably won't like my work because a lot of those authors are authors I love and who have influenced my writing style. I'm not claiming to be on the same level as them. I sure hope I am at some degree. Great. Anyway, this has been more meandering than I even meant to be because you're getting a longer podcast today in the form of the first six chapters of The Nine Lives of Marvin Longhi. There's going to be links in here for ammo. There's going to be links for the audiobooks that you can buy, the ebooks, the paperbacks. You know the deal. I highly encourage you, if you want to support this podcast and see it go far and you don't want me to have to quit broke and impoverished, pick up copies of my books. It's the best way to support the podcast. I do allow you to donate money through Substack for free if you want to. I have a couple of paid subscribers. Thank you very much to them. But ultimately, I want people to read my work. And so that's the main way that you can support this podcast. If you're a writer, absolutely check out Ammo. I do get a little bit of a, a kickback. I get some of the juice from that squeeze, if you will. But again, I advertise for Ammo because of what it's done for me, enabling me to sell books to strangers at a pretty high level, getting better all the time. And there you have it. Those are the ways that you can support the podcast if you want to, but please enjoy this preview of The Nine Lives of Marva DeLonghi. This is TRBM, a podcast for authors who are serious about earning a full-time living selling books to readers. I'm the host, Jody J. Sperling, and each episode, I'll share with you practical tips on marketing and selling your books. And I won't hold anything back. Sometimes I fail. Every time I do, you'll know it. Sometimes I succeed. And when I do, I'll give you my step-by-step replay so you can succeed too. Thanks for listening. Part one. I leaned against the brick facade outside her office, drawing figures of infinity in the air with my favorite four-inch pocket knife. My thoughts were as stained as my shoes from wandering every dark alley in Omaha. Two voices spoke muffled words on the other side of the door. Maybe love, maybe fear. I flicked my knife closed, dropped it in my purse, and turned the knob to see which. With the door open an inch, I paused. First impressions say so much. If I walked in on love, there'd be a happy ending. I didn't want to think about fear. I knew Lyle's grisly baritone anywhere, but my partner's guest spoke with an unfamiliar lilt. When I stepped into the office, the conversation paused. Lyle pointed a ham and cheese hoagie at me. A smile formed around shreds of lettuce and a dribble of mustard. Luke, we were just talking about you. The tableau I faced wasn't love, though Lyle might have thought otherwise. The woman opposite him had yellow hair. She wore high heel shoes. Lipstick was everywhere. Some faces looked made for bruises. I shook my head to shoe the lopsided thoughts. Extended my hand. Detective Mia. Some people call me Little Cancer, and not just because I was born in July. A fat lip didn't stop this woman from showing a seductive smile. You weren't kidding. She looked at Lyle. Your partner's a real charmer. He took his time chewing a bite of sandwich. She grows on you. Like a tumor, I'm sure. I patted my pockets. 
I've heard that one before. My cigarettes were somewhere. Before I found them, Lyle said, let me finish eating, huh? He hated the smell of smoke. I slipped the hard pack of pyramid menthol from my jacket and tapped a clamshell in my palm. When do you think that'll be? He tongued a piece of ham lodged in his gums. Maybe you should consider quitting. I tossed my smokes on the office desk next to the rent bill. We were several weeks past due and two lost cats from destitute. I gave Lyle the finger and looked again at his guest. What'd you say your name was? I didn't. She cradled her cheek in her hand like no one had ever loved her. Marva DeLonghi. I was just telling Mr. Cooperchank how someone's trying to kill me. I smiled. Death gives meaning to life. Let me guess, you don't know who it is. I have a few ideas, but it seems I'm growing short on time. It's almost endearing that Lyle won't correct a person when she butchers his last name. I spoke on his behalf. It's Kapuchnik, by the way. Uh, tossing a fist-sized chunk of bread and meat into his mouth, Lyle uttered a sound like a gut-punched boxer. I moved a step closer. If Heimlich Maneuver isn't a band name, it should be. He put his hand up to ward me off. A smear of mayonnaise shaped like a bear clung to his palm. We waited for choking or monologue, whichever came first. On both accounts, we were disappointed. Luke, he swallowed hard. Get us some drinks, huh? What if drinks not have been a good idea? I've tweeted this question multiple times, and no one yet has posed an unreasonable setting. On my way to the kitchenette, I snagged my smokes. Neat or on the rocks? Lyle and Marva answered in unison. I struck a match and walked it to the refrigerator. A moment later, I returned carrying two highballs of Magdalen bourbon, neat, in my right palm, and one on rocks in my left. A cigarette smoldered between my lips, wisps of smoke drifting toward my face. I couldn't decide if my tears were from the smoke or because I'd glimpsed the future. One of us wasn't going to make it out alive. Lyle tossed a handful of mixed nuts into his mouth, his expression half-vacant, as Marva delivered the detailed account of the door that had put the hurting on her. He swirled his bourbon around the rocks, sniffed, drank, frowned, drank, coughed. Marva must have been president of some sorority back in college because she treated her drink like bitter medicine. The glass thudded on the end table next to the armchair into which she'd retreated. Her story came out a lot slower. It started with a text message from a blocked number. Any last requests? The following morning, she woke to a text, picturing her, but in a bad way. Whoever wanted her attention got it in bold. She recognized her face, but couldn't remember the costume party when she'd worn a noose. It was tempting to admire the photo manipulation, except nobody liked seeing herself dead. Whoever the prankster was, they'd even gotten right the blood droplets dribbling from the eyes. Lyle peeled the wrapper from a chocolate bar. Blood from the eyes isn't typical with hangings, only manual strangulations. Marva traced the rim of her empty glass with her finger. And you know that, why? I'm a detective, doll. I'd dismiss any other man who demeaned women with pet names as often as he did, but no other man had spent the balance of a decade putting up with me. If he was the guy who grumbled when his favorite radio host was fired for preying on women staffers, he was also the guy who'd hunt a month for a lost child pictured on a milk carton, find the boy, and decline the reward because the six-year-old's tears of joy at the reunion were payment enough.
I jackaled my cup. Refills? Marva asked if we had wine. I dug a dusty bottle from the closet, judged it gently aged, and poured a glass. She dispatched the evidence, and I refilled her twice before she picked up her story again. In the days following the troubling text messages, Marva began to think she'd overreacted. An Instagram follower with a bad sense of humor, a teenage prankster with a perverted definition of flirting. She fixed dinner for her husband, Ransom. He took her to a movie. They spent a morning at the Jocelyn Museum enjoying a special Grant Wood exhibit. Marva obsessed over the perfectionist. Why was the second button on the woman's blouse half undone? What did it mean? The painting's title was more important than all the work Wood did before or after. And that button. A few weeks later, walking to Jackson Street Bookseller, Marva's heel broke. She fell, spilling the contents of her purse. At the same time, a brick fell from the sky and crumbled on the pavement inches from where she'd fallen. It smashed her lipstick tube into a crimson splatter. If her shoe hadn't broken, the brick would have crushed her skull. Sidewalk painted in brains. Leaning from a window on the fifth floor of a loft above Jason Jackson was the man with the pitchfork from American Gothic. Same wireframe glasses, same hollow cheeks. She blinked. When she opened her eyes, he'd vanished. The windows were all closed. Hysteria? But there was the brick to consider. She retrieved it from her purse and handed it to me. It was stamped with the Riverfront Park logo. As I corrupted any DNA evidence that might have lingered, she resumed her story. At the bookstore, a first edition of Farewell, My Lovely by Raymond Chandler caught her eye. She bought it for 3500 cash. Lyle chewed ice cubes while a lime popsicle melted in his left hand. As in 3500 It might have been a little overpriced. Let me guess. I drum my fingers on the arm of my chair. Your hubby's a lawyer. Biofarm. Emphasis in advertising and development. I pinched my lower lip. Must be nice having all that money. Who knows? When you have it, you don't really think about it. Of course. Lyle decapitated a blueberry muffin. He offered me the bottom half. I said I wasn't hungry and poured myself another drink. Marva had returned home from the bookstore to find a package on her front porch. Inside the package was a blood-stained shirt. It looked familiar, though she knew she'd never owned it. And it wasn't the kind of thing she could call her girlfriends about, so she did the next best thing going straight to the cellar for a bottle of 85 Chateau Margot. When Ransom returned from work, he found her on the lounger, humming fragments of Miles Davis's So What. The trail of bottles from the living room to the kitchen was $10,000 long, and there, at the end of it, lay Marva. She wasn't much for conversation, so he led her to the room, helped her into pajamas, tucked her in, and killed the lights. The next morning, he brought her breakfast in bed and asked if they needed to look into a local chapter of AA. She laughed a migraine laugh, meant to me no, but that felt a little like yes. Anything, she was thinking, to get my head on straight. She asked him to leave her alone, and when he meekly retreated, she threw off the duvet, walked to the bathroom, and cranked the shower full hot. The water burned her skin and cleared her head. She marched down the stairs, robed, her skin lobster red. Ransom was folding white cheddar into scrambled eggs. She asked him what she should do if someone was trying to kill her. He said the only person trying to kill her was herself, with booze. 
She wanted to show him the text messages, the brick, the bloody shirt. But instead, she said, would you call the police? He plated his eggs, cut sprigs of chive, and sprinkled them on top. Is someone trying to kill you, honey? She lost her nerve. Yours look better than mine did. Wanna bite? No. She thirsted. I'm just embarrassed. He rubbed her shoulder and reminded her she was his morning star, his white daisy. What we need is a good vacation. You're absorbing all my stress from work. Lyle sprung from his chair. Why don't you trust your husband? He buried his hand in a bag of potato chips. Crumbs sprayed from his mouth when he said, Won't he believe you? Marva's eyes cleared from the fog of memory. He's always so busy. I lit another cigarette. Butts overflowed from the ashtray next to me. A haze of smoke tickled the ceiling. Lyle lacked a certain knowledge about women. He appreciated their bodies, usually managed to get their phone numbers, but he'd never known one more than sheet deep. Go back to the brick. I lifted it to eye level. Doesn't it seem strange that it came from the riverfront? I mean, every building downtown is brick. Hell, the streets are paved in bricks. Why lug one from a mile away unless you're sending a message? Marva folded her legs beneath herself on the armchair. I hadn't thought about that. I was teasing at angles to justify this object, lost in thought, hunting a trail. And when I came to, the conversation had wound back to ransom. His company's finishing human trials for a sleeping med. They're calling it Vivivica, and it's going to make everyone a lot of money. I don't need him worried about me. Lyle groaned. I think he'd want to know some creep's trying to scare you witless. Marva seemed enchanted by the empty wine bottle. Code for I didn't come to discuss my husband's deficiencies. All we had left was Magdalene, and I said so. She nodded. I poured her three fingers. You want us to solve this without involving your husband? Lyle had scratched up a fried chicken leg and was savoring the crispy skin. The air conditioning compressor kicked on. Marva had something to hide, but wouldn't show it straight on, so I asked her to finish her story and listen for cracks in the narrative. During the previous month, she'd almost been mown down by a car that ran a red light. She'd narrowly avoided falling into an elevator shaft when the door opened to an empty lift. Hours before she'd come to visit us, the aforementioned door had knocked her unconscious. These all could have been viewed as bits of bad luck if it hadn't been for the accompanying text messages. On the morning she'd almost been run down, she'd received a picture from a block number of a speeding car with a skull and crossbones for its hood ornament. The night before the elevator incident, late, as Ransom tossed and turned, fighting wakefulness beside her, her phone vibrated. She opened the message to a picture of a cliff. No words, just a rocky precipice. Hours before the door bloodied her nose and blacked her eyes, her phone had buzzed. Knock, knock. I put out my cigarette and leaned back in my chair. I don't mean to sound insensitive, but do you think this mystery person is more into scaring you than killing you? Why all the forewarnings? Wouldn't a gun be quicker? Marva pinched her nose and sniffed. She asked for a tissue. I started wondering the same thing after the door this morning, but then I got this. She unlocked her phone and passed it to me. The most recent message read, start planning your final meal. 
I gave her phone back. You ever reply? Dead end. Filet mignon, Lyle said. Garlic mashed, asparagus and chive butter. He rubbed a green apple on his shirt tail. You won't tell your husband, and you refuse to call the police. I hesitated. Why? Lyle popped a cheese puff. You're crossed a bear, huh? Something like that. The bourbon had permeated to the tips of my fingers, fogged my eyes, and swollen my tongue. I stared dumbly at Lyle as he chomped the last bite of apple and licked his fingers. I picked a hangnail from my thumb. Let's talk money. Marvel laughed. You got any cigarettes left? I checked the pack. There were two. I handed her one, offered a light. Smoking with someone forges an instant bond. As she dragged and exhaled, my empathy grew. What must she have felt? How had loneliness shaped her? She tapped Ash into her cupped palm. Five grand every day I wake up. I passed her the ashtray. She emptied her palm into it and set the tray on the chair's arm. I tend to negotiate, but then again, most widows and cat lovers don't start by offering a month's wages as a daily rate. Won't the hubs notice all the debits? Marva smoothed her skirt. Her legs were muscle, milk, and honey. Not your business. Lyle stood, walked to the window behind our desk, and looked over Maple at the shops on Benson. Your husband might be rich, but anybody's going to notice that kind of spending. He hasn't looked at our books in ten years. Suddenly, I couldn't stand the smell in our office. Suppose that changes tomorrow. Nothing changes with him. Bad practice to empathize with a client, but her loneliness splashed all over me. We'll see what we can do. I told her she needed to forward any of the text messages she'd received from the blocked number. If Marva was right about time winding down, we needed everything we could get to put us on the trail of her stalker. She stood, dug an envelope from her purse, and tossed it on the desk atop the rent bill. What about the bloody shirt? I rose from my chair and wobbly knees and made for the desk. I'm small, but I hold my liquor, and the zigzags were for show. Everything. Marva started for the door. She rested her hand on the knob and looked back. You're right, Mr. Coopershack. Miss me a desk row on you. I sneered at Lyle and the bag of cheese puffs in his hand. When I turned, Marva had gone. Lyle snapped up the envelope from the desk, tore open the flap, and fanned out a stack of Benjamins. Looks like we got rent money, huh? Two. We drove Maple Street to Radio Highway as it curved and turned into Saddle Creek, stopping at QT for gas and smokes. The street lamp seemed half again as dim as a normal night. The city meets your mood as only a loving mother can. There's something just a little too convenient with this damn brick. I hefted it in my hand. Lyle dispatched a box of Cracker Jacks. He dug a kernel from his gums. That and I got money on this broad's husband being the type to shell out on fundraising souvenirs just like it. That woman's husband has a narcissist written all over him. Maybe more. Something's funny about him for sure, huh? I cracked my window and tapped out a smoke. Lyle shook his head. I ignored him and sparked a flame. Through smoke, I said, funny ha-ha or funny look out. 
Lyle peeled an orange and flung the rind onto the street. Yes. I gave him the you-should-be-ashamed stare. Biodegradable. I shook my head. You still haven't told me how you two met. He chewed an orange segment, juice misting between his teeth. Nothing much to tell. He said he'd gone to Jake's on the Benson Strip for a couple beers to absorb the nightlife. She came in not long afterward, looking around like she was expecting to find someone. Lyle tipped his glass to her. She smiled, approaching him, said she was looking for Lyle Cupnupchip. He said she'd come to the right place. She said she needed his help. I laughed. Your help. I'm telling a story, huh? He pressed his palm to his forehead. So tell. We talked. I ordered her a glass of wine. Annie was working. God, Jesus, I, what I could do with those pigtails, huh? Stay on topic. So Marva says she's being followed, and I say, as in, we're being watched, and she says, maybe, and I say, by who, and she says, whom, and I say, yeah, who, and she says, she doesn't know, and I say, you don't know who's following you, but you know you're being followed, and she says, that's pretty much the long and short of it, and I ask why she thinks she's being followed, and she says, someone wants her dead, and I say, her situation sounds pretty serious, and doesn't she think it'd be better to call the cops, and she says, the cops won't believe me. And I say, don't matter, they have policies and procedures when someone reports suspected crime. And she says, even so, they won't help her come morning. And I start thinking certain things, so I say, you're looking for around-the-clock protection. And she says, not exactly. And I say, then what? And she says she wants someone who won't stop digging when they hit bedrock. And I say, I don't exactly get her metaphor. And she says, my situation is unique, I think, and not many people are going to give me the time of day. And I ask why, and she says, I'll just have to trust her. And I say, pardon me, but it's true. I say, you don't have to worry about me trusting you, but my partner's never met a person she doesn't doubt. She's got a bad case of cynicism no medicine can clear up. Christ, you said that about me. Only the truth. Go on. So I say, maybe we should go back to my office. And she asks why, and I say, even if my partner's a cynic, she's my partner, and we don't work alone. And she says, not even if I pay you for two people's work? And I say, as tempting as it sounds, don't lie to me. You're lousy at it anyway. Fine. She said she wanted a woman's perspective. I said, don't lie to me. I was going to give you your cut. We're getting closer. Between cheese puffs, Lyle said, can I help it if the lady wanted me and not you? I started into a third cigarette just as Lyle was pulling up to the riverfront, the souvenir brick being our only decent lead. Doesn't matter what she wanted, because she got both of us. He angled into a parking space. All for the best. Even if you don't think so, I opened my door. You could have had this one all to yourself if you hadn't brought her back to the office for a seduction. She's married. I, when has a diamond mattered to you? Hey, I admire all the legal mumbo-jumbo behind I do. Respect the court papers. My ass. He opened his door and we stood. Plus, you're the brains of this operation. Three. Behind the Gateway Boathouse at Riverfront Park, Charlie and Rube and a few dockers I didn't know were tossing crumpled bills to the center of a shipping crate outfitted with a plywood tabletop. Charlie was making splinters of a toothpick. He treated women like auto repair shops, a necessary service where everything is overpriced. Rube gnawed a mostly smoked cigar. Get him talking and you usually learn something you wanted to know and a lot you'd rather not. The air smelled of skunk, sweat, and tobacco. Uh-oh. Rube spat tobacco leaf. 
The cancer is back. Charlie laughed big as a blank check. He needed a new set of teeth or a zipper for his lips. The three unknown dockers looked up startled from their cards. Who died, Blondie? I pushed my hair out of my face. Men never let a natural blonde forget it. No one yet. See, boys? Charlie flicked his toothpick away. Told you I needed a new baseball bat. Rube wiped his lips. Who are you extorting tonight? Lyle flipped an empty produce box upside down and sat. Deal me in, huh? Charlie snapped. No one plays on credit, but It was a mistake letting Lyle hold Marva's fee. He punched a clean hundred on the plywood. No hole too deep tonight, fellas. Some nights I feel like taking it in the teeth. I stepped up to retrieve the bill, but one of the dockers brought a blade to my wrist. Money on the table stays on the table. Easy does it, slice and dice. Charlie lifted his hand. We're all friends here. Rube relit a cigar. Rules is rules. Some nights I feel like taking it easy. I pulled my arm back. One of the other dockers dealt the cards. Charlie asked us to what he owed the pleasure. I showed him Marva's brick and asked if he knew anybody who had the funds to buy one. Lyle cracked a pistachio shell with his teeth and asked to change for a fiver, but Rube said no change in the middle of a hand. No choice but all in for you, pal. Lyle grinned. He pushed. Charlie folded. One docker followed suit and slice and dice. The last docker called. So did Rube. While the three remaining players bed, Charlie examined the brick. Didn't they sell these for that bullshit drive to save the plovers or whatever? Rube shoved a small mound of crumpled bills to the center of the makeshift table. The other guy tapped his knuckles on the plywood. You can't check a raise, dumbass. Charlie looked at me. I'm not sure who dropped coin and something that retarded. Dumbass blinked. Uh, I wasn't. He moved his hand toward the pile of money. Slice and dice showed his knife. No drawing back a bet. Dumbass pushed all his money forward. Rube called. Someone's gonna have a short night. Dumbass blew a snot rocket. I'm sticking with hookers from now on. Heads up, the dealer said. In our line of business, informants never let us forget how ignorant people are of prejudice. Retard being standard jargon, and hookers a common topic. You can't be a woman working in a testosterone-saturated environment without losing some of your outrage reflex, but it doesn't mean you don't boil beneath the surface. Lyle mowed down a jar of neon green pickle spears, smiling. My lucky day. He licked his fingers and flipped a pair of aces. The flop had given him trips. Dumbass's face slackened. He showed a pair of eights. Rube, a king, and Jack suited. Diamonds. The diamond on the turn gave Rube a shot at a river ralph. Lyle had three or four ways to win the pot. The dealer burned and sailed the river card. A mess of silence followed when the five of diamonds landed. The dealer whispered, Jesus. He won. Jesus. Rube slapped the kid upside the head. No kidding, Schiffer brains. Detective Munchies used all his worldly luck on a full house. He pushed Lyle's stack of cash away. At least dumbass gave me first loser. Lyle scooped his winnings, nurturing a dull, satisfied grin. Charlie started on a new toothpick. No, one and done, or you're a first-rate pussy. Lyle smiled. I'd think you'd like first-rate pussy, huh?
I thumped him on the back of the head. I don't appreciate the language. If you can't hang with the boys, Rube started, but I shut him up with an icy glare. Give dumbass a chance of redemption, Charlie said. I'll spot you, kid. I knew how it went, but couldn't help myself. You said no credit. Charlie sprung from his veggie crate and clenched his fists. I make the rules around here. He cracked his neck and sat. Deal, Slice. Rube named the stakes. Five, ten, no limit. Lyle tossed in his blind and received his cards. Charlie dealt. The bets circled. Four players paid to see the flop. Behind them, the Missouri roiled. I slipped my phone from my pocket and opened Twitter. Posted something about the river at night. Just a way to document wasted time. I told Rube about our interesting night, how someone had tried to brain our client with the souvenir brick Charlie was fondling. Rube asked if the girl in question had nice tits. I said her breasts were none of his concern. He said he just couldn't find it in himself to care about a dead broad with anything less than sea cups. I called him a misogynist pig. He oinked and said he could go for a good massage. Charlie won the hand and passed the dealer button. Dumbass shuffled, offered a cut, and dealt. Shit for brains said, rich chick. Probably ordered her tits in the doctor's office, if you know what I mean. I wanted to test a theory. What's your name? Was, hey, kid. Guess I'm shit for brains now. Sometimes you can do a person a favor. I like hey, kid better. Now, listen up. Women aren't just skin and holes. Show a little respect. Rube raised. He laughed. Hey, kid, let it ride. She thinks her turds don't stink. I slipped my pocket knife from my purse and used the blade to trim a hangnail. You've got it wrong, Rube. I think my crap stinks bad, just as bad as any man's. That's the point. Slice smirked. Hey, kid, folded. Charlie said he'd once occupied with a chick who claimed she farted in public. We didn't last long. Lyle lost 20 on the river, but shrugged and revisited his pretzel sticks for consolation. So, Charlie, if you don't know about any bleeding heart brick collectors working down here, maybe you heard something about a guy who likes to send threatening text messages to random women before knocking them off? Hell, sounds like me, if you ignore the knocking them off part. I flirt rough. I folded my knife blade. Is that why you did a two to five for rape, Charlie? Rube snickered. Charlie said, no thanks to you. Could have been ten to twenty if you hadn't agreed to give me the panda. Charlie spat a toothpick splinter. I hope that piss ant's rotten in solitary. Dumbass shrugged. The panda? Rube ground out his cigar. Little chubby bastard worked down here some years back. Survived on a diet of onions and vodka. Like to fuck chicks unconscious and shave their heads and float them ball down the river on shipping pallets. Charlie winced. He was a foreman, actually, and we all knew how he liked it, but still, no one's paid us so well since. I dropped my knife in my purse. Money for silence. Lyle bet big. I'm bluffing this time. His lips wrapped around a corn dog. No one believed him, and he collected 30 in blinds. Slice ran a hand through his hair. Maybe the panda got a phone snuck in jail. Hey, kid smiled. I knew the panda. He owned a coin laundry over on Vinton. It was his deal again. He forgot to burn. Charlie punched him in the eye. For fuck's sake, you really got shit for brains. 
Shut up and deal. I liked Hey Kid after that. Most guys would have retaliated and ended up disfigured in a puddle of blood with empty pockets, waiting for an ambulance that wouldn't come. He apologized, accepted the misdeal, paid the penalty to the next pot, and passed the button. Maybe talk to Laser. Rube contemplated a fresh cigar. Mean son of a bitch. Kind of guy who shaves with a butcher's knife. Don't treat ladies too good, and unless I'm remembering wrong, that fucker reads the New York Times. Maybe he's your John. Lyle finished the last of a hard-shell taco and wiped his fingers on his jeans. I lit a cigarette and smoked as he won deal after deal. The guys around the table were starting to fidget too much with their hands under the table. I tapped Lyle's shoulder, leaned into his ear, and suggested he bleed some cash. On Lyle's deal, he bet low, but enough to get money on the table. He filled his mouth with cinnamon bears and called every raise. When the river card sailed, he cursed. Rube laughed. Gotcha now. Lyle raised, Rube re-raised. Lyle folded, pushing his cards to the center. Rube punched the table. Uh-uh, your bitch ass is playing this one out. Lyle said he didn't want to, and in a beat, Slice's knife was at Lyle's neck. Lyle said Rube could have it his way, pulled his cards back, and called. Rube flipped two pair, kings and aces. Lyle was slow to show his hand. He'd caught a third two on the river. He'd played a 10-2, which never should have won. God damn it all to hell, Charlie stood. We work for this money and you disrespect us by trying to throw a hand? You better cut out before Slice loses his temper. Rube flicked his lighter, passing his finger through the flame. Sweating cream, motherfucker. Don't ever disrespect us like that again. Cash out, Doyle Brunson. You're done. Lyle nodded. Guess we'll see you around. Charlie fingered a line across his throat. Better not for a while. I stepped between Charlie and Lyle. You said we're looking for laser? Dumbass said, wear something, low cut. He won't talk to women who don't show skin. I crossed my arms and puffed out my chest. He'll talk to me. I guarantee it. Four. The next morning, the headlines were full of reports about a woman who'd been murdered in Regency. I showered, smoked, dressed, ate a banana, and fixed a Bloody Mary heavy on the Magdalene. They say you're only an alcoholic if you drink alone. I'm not the marrying type, so I can't see how that means I should join a recovery group. My phone rang. Either a concrete mixer dialed the wrong number, or Lyle had a bowl of cereal to one ear and his phone to the other. You're about to Jane Doe? I bet people will think twice before shopping at Williams-Sonoma next time. Can't help but laughing when the shit hits the upper crust, huh? I'm out of smokes. Already? I cast a suspect glance at the limp celery stick in my glass and wondered who I was trying to fool. Hey. I'll pick you up in ten. You're the best. I hung up. After tossing the celery in the garbage, I shuffled to the pantry for more Magdalene. The ratios on my bloody were skewed. Maybe because it was that time of month. I dumped in a little more bourbon and tested the results. It squared things nicely. I figured on just enough time to pay a few bills before Lyle showed. Less those, I had just over three bucks in my bank account and was expecting Marva to call us about her payment plan. 
Thirty minutes later, I phoned Lyle. It rang to voicemail. I texted, you better be dead, because I hate people being late. It's a control thing. I hopped on Twitter and posted a picture of a barreling wave with the meme, this is how I like my bourbon, hashtag Magdalene. Lyle showed two hours late. He handed me a couple packs of pyramid menthol, a dumb grin on his face. Buy one, get one. Purple juice rimmed his mouth, a half-eaten plum cradled in his hand. I stepped aside because it was clear he wanted in. What took you so long? He sucked the plum pit clean. Glad you asked. He aimed for my dining room and took a chair at the table. I could use a beer. I dug an MGD from the back of the fridge. He cracked it and sipped. The serial burglar strikes again. My feet tangled with impatience. I tapped my toes. Tell me I have somewhere to be. If I hated anything more than Lyle's hobby investigations, I couldn't think of it. Unlike me, he was always running a side game, but the problem with his pet projects was no one paid him. He'd skimmed the news for some bank fraud or Ponzi scheme, theory being if he hit on a clue and broke a case, someone would pay him handsomely. I wondered if he hadn't calculated Marva's fee. Catch this. He slipped a cheese stick from its wrapper. I'm at Walgreens, huh? They got BOGO on your smoke, so I'm trying to decide if I should double down when the clerk's eyes wake out. She pulls her shoulders back, and I'm thinking how nice her body is when she stands up straight. But then she makes this nasty sound in her throat, and I think, no way. But there's not much time for a pros and cons list, you know, when it comes to bedability, because someone shoulders me aside, and I stumble into the makeup counter. This dude in a red and black plaid pushes by me, and he's wearing a black felt fedora, a face mask, and a pair of sunglasses, so only his nose is showing. He's smaller than I thought he'd be, and a whole lot less, I don't know, just little all around. He's got a cart full of cookie crisp, and he hands a box to the cashier. She reads it and gulps. I want to say something, but there's a lump in my throat. Not because I'm scared, but I can't even believe it's happening. I know I can take him down, but suddenly I can't imagine a world without him in it. I'd unwrap one of the packs and tapped out a smoke. There's easier lies to explain why you're late. Lyle swallowed the last of the cheese. If I'm lying, I'm dying. So you let the serial burglar go? Lyle guzzled his beer and sat back heavily. He's been at it for so long. It was like meeting Brad Pitt or something. Did you ask for an autograph? He slipped a bag of licorice bites from his pocket, tearing a corner off the wrapper. Guy walks out the front door with his box full of cash, and on his way out, he looks straight into the security camera and pauses. And he's gone. I ask the checker if she's okay, and she says she's just a little shaken. I tell her she better call the cops, and she says she already tripped the alarm. By the time I buy your smokes, the police are there. They wanted my statement. It was seeming like we weren't going to head out so quick, and I fixed another bloody. Hold the blood and celery, extra Magdalene. LPD is the most useless heap of trash department. Lyle picked at his gums. They were all laughing at the box the burglar left behind. Always using a box of cookie crisp, the burglar had staged upwards of 70 robberies over three years. The messages grew more elaborate over time. Give me all the money in the register, or you know the drill, or this is not a role play. Then I'm holding a gun in my left hand. Made you look. And the world will end in flames, so what does it matter if I take a few bucks off your hands? 
And you work for a company that collects more cash in its register in one hour than you earn in a week of work, so don't tell me you're not secretly excited at the thought of me robbing this drawer and paying forward a little karma. And more recently, when I was a child, I used to eat this cereal two boxes in a sitting in front of the television, watching old Gilligan's Island reruns while my parents slept till noon. I think it's something about this routine that eventually caused me to start robbing cash registers. But then again, maybe I just love the electrifying joy of holding up a silly cashier like you and watching the look of terror on your face. Even the longest notes were written with incredible penmanship, suggesting the burglar perhaps smuggled in a cereal box with the threatening note ahead of time. On one occasion, the news reported that the burglar had copied such an extensive note that a magnifying glass was given to the cashier for him to read. Always, the outcome was the same. The checker emptied the drawer into the open cereal box that contained the note. The burglar snapped a photo of the cashier holding the box, then left by the front door, tipping the black fedora at the security camera. A few days later, the photo would arrive at the World Herald office by anonymous tip. In all the time the serial burglar had been pulling jobs, no security camera had ever identified a suspect. It was known that whoever had been pulling the jobs was walking into the chosen stores without the plaid or the mask. But not only had no store ever isolated a suspect, no store had even found footage of a person changing into the burgling outfit. One moment, there was no one of interest. The next, the burglar approached a cash register dressed in fedora, plaid shirt, and the ski mask, pushing a cart full of cookie crisp. The magic appearing act fascinated Lyle more than me. Did you see the note? Lyle popped a donut hole in his mouth and savored the powdered sugar, cleaning traces of it off his lips with his thumb. Cops wouldn't let me. You had your chance and you blew it. Lyle smiled. But I had an epiphany, huh? I don't really want to catch the guy. I'm putting this one to bed. Whoever the guy is, he's an artist, I'll tell you. The world needs people like him. What makes you so sure it's a him? Lyle looked askance at me, ate another donut hole. Not again, huh? I sparked another cigarette. You said the burglar was smaller than you expected, and there's the fact that no one's ever been able to identify a suspect. Maybe the police are too busy looking for a man to realize they're dealing with a woman. Lyle sipped his beer. Listen, I know you believe in the superiority of women, but sometimes I think you get all twisted trying to prove a point that can't be defended. I'm just saying maybe the serial burglar might have enjoyed such a strong run because no one suspects a woman. I've got a hunch if you could watch all the footage from the robberies, you'd find a familiar lady starring in every episode. Lyle rolled a slice of bologna and bit down. You think the cops are only watching the security footage for men? I bet they are, yeah. I stabbed my cigarette into the ashtray and stood. Hey, we better get going if we want to talk to Laser. Lyle polished off the rest of his beer and pushed back from the table. If the serial burglar is a woman, I'm going to seduce her and film us doing doggy style. Wow, I stood. You're a real catch. Five. The dockyard ran like a legitimate business during the day. Men drove bobcats and forklifts in frenzied lines, moving pallets full of produce, potted meats, canned fruit, and catfish to bays for transport. The river is an artery between Omaha, Kansas City, and St. Louis. Lyle parked and finishing a slice of cold pizza, shut off the engine. Guess it would have been too hard to take a little advice and wear something a bit more revealing, huh? You know you've got the body for it, but of course you'd do the opposite of what anyone says. My t-shirt came from a gift shop at the Pittsburgh airport. 
In yellow lettering, City of Bridges underlined a graphic of the 16th Street Bridge. The narrow neck pinched at my throat and the sleeves hung to my elbows. My jeans had come from Lyle's own drawer, the pair he'd given me years ago after I slipped in blood chasing the Walnut Hill housebreaker from the scene of his final murder. I swam in the jeans and had to cinch the waist with a cloth belt, but they were worn and comfortable in all the right ways. By the sound of it, that would have been a recipe for rape, so thanks, but no thanks. Lyle popped a handful of M&Ms. Maybe a tank top, short shorts, a holster thong. We walked to the security shack and I showed my badge. A holster thong? What the hell would that even look like? The security guard stepped away from the window and ruffled through a file cabinet. Horseflies swarmed my head and bit my ankles. The air stuck to my skin like phosphorus to match flame. Lyle slapped at his neck and cursed. Just a string of fabric, you know, kind of, hey baby, you like, and then blam, you like my gun, asshole. He flashed his best imitation of a gang sign. Hoster thong. That's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. All I'm saying, he picked a wilted grape from the bunch in his hand and tossed it aside, is you could be sexy and dangerous. Sigourney Weaver, give me a break, huh? Sandra Bullock? Lotion and gunpowder are a perfect team. You know you're talking about Hollywood, right? It shouldn't come as a surprise that men directed the films you're referencing. I hope you don't think the actresses actually bought into that shit. Lyle returned to cheese puffs. Little flecks of puffed corn leapt from his jaw as he spoke. What's wrong with dressing apart? Laser enjoys tits and ass like art collectors dig Picasso. I slapped at the air in front of my face. The flies wanted blood and their mood was contagious. Last I checked, no one exploited an entire group of people because of fine art. The security guard returned to the window. He handed us visitors' badges. Keep these around your neck, invisible. I slipped the lanyard over my head. You're a peach. The security guard pointed toward a small, tin-sided building. Head over there with these and tell Mike you want to talk with Laser. He winked and clicked his tongue. And ma'am, if I may, be careful with Mr. Laser. Not a Lyle hooked his arm around my shoulder. I'll keep an eye on her. He pulled me away and guided us through the opening gates toward the tin building. As we walked, Lyle finished his bag of cheese puffs and crumpled the empty foil into his pocket. See, there, there's my point, huh? Go fuck a chainsaw, would you? He dug a box of chocolate-covered raisins from his jacket pocket and offered me a handful. I sucked the coating and spat the raisins on the concrete. What's our play with laser? Lyle tugged my t-shirt sleeve. I take it you're not wearing a tube top under that thing. I shoved him. Ten bucks says the guy'd lose his shit if I was bad cop. Don't they say you catch more flies with booty? We came to the tin building, and I motioned to the man standing out front. We're looking for Mike? He cracked his knuckles. Who's asking? I showed him my visitor's badge. Need you to take us to Laser. Great. He's in it with the law again. Lyle popped a handful of gummy bears in his mouth and pushed them into his cheek. Not that we can prove. Mike dragged a palm down his leathery face. He's over at the docks. Hop in, I'll drive you. Asshole was late for work this morning. Mike led us to a golf cart around back of the metal building. Lyle and I squeezed in on the rear-facing vinyl bench. I'd seen the docks one other time during working hours. A mess of sweat and anger. The whole operation seemed like punishment, low pay and heavy lifting. 
It made you appreciate arugula side salads in a new light, knowing some guy risked melanoma for minimum wage so you could have something to drizzle balsamic vinaigrette on. The golf cart pulled into a bay where men were tossing 20-pound catfish, flopping and screaming, the fish and the men, from hand to hand. A giant, thin-bodied but full of muscle, wearing round, wire-framed glasses, stood forth in line, holding a wood-handled axe. Tattoos bulged on his neck and tendons twitched. He had a familiar air about him, one I could almost place like he was pulled from some TV show or a painting. When the third man in line caught a fish, he spun it, slapping the body on a chopping block. The axe man cleaved the fish head clean off, and the fifth man slung the decapitated fish into a netted wheel cart. A sixth and seventh man traded places with an eighth and ninth, six and seven wheeling the cart elsewhere, while eight and nine positioned a new empty cart. Mike shouted over the workers' grunts, Phil, take over for Laser. Phil took the giant's axe. Laser stepped back and looked at Mike. I couldn't remember the last time I'd felt so small. Laser was the kind who ducked through door frames. With his arms relaxed, the tips of his fingers extended almost to the tops of his knees. His face was chiseled stone and hollow cheeks. Mike jerked a thumb in my direction. These here detectives want to speak with you. Laser folded his arms across his chest. I didn't do it. Now can I get back to work? He scratched a cut on his brow. We'd stood when Mike parked the cart and I had approached Laser as he spoke. Charlie told us you might know something about a client we're working for. Charlie, eh? He pushed his glasses up the bridge of his nose. That asshole has hash for brains. Hope you didn't take him too seriously. Lyle shoveled potato salad into his mouth. We got a client who says she's getting death threats by text message. He licked the spoon clean. We hear you have a mean streak. Laser rolled his shoulders laughing. I ain't never done anything to a woman she didn't ask for, and Charlie knows it. That pissed me off. Laser landed on the concrete with a satisfying thud. I pinned my elbows to his back and my knee in his ass. Mike laughed, and the sounds of workers working quieted. Listen close. I leaned into Laser's ear. You may think violence toward women is particularly funny. Plenty of men seem to. But understand, if you don't cooperate, we're going to push every charge in the book at you. It won't take me ten minutes to dig up all the shit OPD has rolled over on you. Take a breath and understand. You're our bitch. It doesn't matter how big you are, and it sure as hell doesn't matter how angry you are. You're our bitch. So tell us what we want to know. His chin scraped the cement. Blood dripped from his lip. He groaned. I let up the pressure so he could talk. You dress like that and call yourself. I pressed my elbow into his spine until he had no air left. Try again. He sucked a breath when I eased off. I'm a human guillotine six days a week. These lowlifes who employ me pay me half what I'm worth. And yet I show up with a smile every day. Doesn't matter what you think. I got nothing to do with your stupid client. Why's Charlie pin you for it then? Because Charlie spends his night smoking dope and gambling. He has too much time to cook up bullshit conspiracies. I pressed my elbow deeper to remind him who had the power. A woman named Marva DeLonghi is one blind corner from a bad break. You know something, you need to help us. I rolled off laser and let him stand. He dusted his pants off and spat. 
she was your client? Shoot, if I would have known. I killed the bitch this morning. Lyle paused with a fluffernutter halfway to his mouth. Excuse me? Between you and me, he straightened his glasses. It was too easy. Lyle looked at me. You hear from Marva this morning? I looked at Laser. You're confessing to murder? Laser slapped the side of his head and rolled his eyes. I'm not the one you're looking for. The fish are already dead when they come to me. Mike stepped back, his smile fading. Laser jabbed my chest with his finger. I got a job swinging an axe and I take it seriously. Fuck with that and I'll be your biggest problem. When I say you got the wrong guy, you got the wrong guy. Lyle was somewhere in the middle of a bag of fried onion rings when he said, if we're so off target, maybe you'd like to tell us who we should be talking to, huh? Or is that kind of thinking too hard for a lame brain like yourself? Laser shaped his hands into fists. I stepped back. Lyle moved closer. He didn't stand a chance if the giant lost his temper. It's one thing tackling someone unaware. They call it a cheap shot. I make the most of them. The standoff lingered a beat. Laser cleared his throat. Talk to Nellie, down at Showgirl. She's a lot of twisted shit, and she's something of an expert on the topic of recreational violence. I didn't like the term recreational violence, but I didn't like much about Laser. If you're wasting her time, I'll scrape the tattoos off your neck with a rusty spatula. Laser rolled his eyes and shot a glance at Lyle. Why don't you muzzle your dog, pal? I lunged. Lyle caught me by the elbow. Careful, buddy. You haven't seen her mad yet. Laser ran his thumbnail across his front teeth. He examined whatever he'd scraped off, wiped it on his jeans, and spat. Nellie will take good care of you. Don't worry. Six. We stopped at block 16 for a late lunch. I ordered a burger topped with a fried egg, blue cheese, ham, and mustard. Lunch is serious business, and like any work worth doing, eating it makes me sweat. Lyle drank two beers. He said he wanted to get sloppy drunk. After paying our tab, we drove Farnham to Saddle Creek and up the diagonal. We had a few hours to kill before any semblance of nightlife emerged, so we ran back to my place for a little five o'clock somewhere. I never tired of scrolling Twitter, even when my drunken eyes doubled the feed. At dusk, we stumbled back out. Twenty showgirl had run down over the years. The billboard outside had large script on one side, the number 20. All its light bulbs were blown. A storm had destroyed the opposite side of the billboard, which the owner never bothered to repair. The building stood windowless an eroding rust-colored brick fortress surrounded by a potholed blacktop parking lot. The wrought iron canopy surrounding the entrance represented the last common-sense barrier between those outside and those in. My father used to spend Friday nights entertaining his co-workers at Showgirl, when it was Omaha's premier topless club. My mother protested at first, teaching my childhood self that women can accept anything our great strength and shame. Some rumored the joint was closing. I doubted it. Objectification of the female body generates more money than every professional sport combined. And even if Showgirl went under, its dancers would find stages elsewhere. When we walked through the front doors, a bright neon sign behind the stage blinked, dance, 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 
and a small woman melted down a brass pole. My feminine instinct wanted to focus on the woman's face, but that denied the purpose of her dancing. She wore red sequined heels and a white bikini bottom. Her breasts swung, marvels of cosmetic surgery, full to bursting. The discs of her nipples were pale as salmon and wide around as baseballs. Lyle's eyes dilated. He breathed slow and shallow. A churro hung from his lips. We took a table near the rear of the club. I ordered two Magdalens, mine neat, and a glass of water. When the server left, I seized Lyle's elbow. It's like you never saw a naked woman. Always feels like the first time. The server returned with our drinks. I thanked her and asked if she knew Laser. Big guy, she said. Giant. He comes every night, emphasis on come. Asks Nellie to marry him more often than he orders drinks. A loyal customer? You could say that. She shimmied for Lyle. He smiled. Guy likes to buy private dances and recite Henry Miller while he gets off. She adjusted her bikini top. Kind of weird, if you ask me. I sipped my bourbon. He sent us here looking for Nellie. The server eyed the stage. Yeah, looking at her. I was afraid of that. Can you let her know Laser sent us? You cops? Private detectives. I flashed my badge. All we want is a scoop. The server said she'd do what she could. Lyle's eyes followed Nellie's every gyration. I kicked his shin under the table and said, business, remember, not pleasure. He nodded, his jaw slack. The song droned on for minutes before fading. A woman's clean, deep voice came over a loudspeaker. Give it up for Nellie free titties. Not counting us, there were a dozen or so people watching the stage. The men voiced their pleasure, lobbing folded bills and handfuls of change at the stage. Several women applauded. Nellie squatted low with her feet close, flapping her knees like a bird in flight. A triangle of her bikini reflected the stage lights, a halo promising the otherworldliness of her sex. Drops of sweat formed on Lyle's brow. The churro dangled from his lips like an unlit cigar. I finished my drink and signaled the server. She nodded and raised one finger. I showed her two in reply, even though Lyle hadn't touched his. When Nellie had collected the money on stage, she sauntered behind the red velvet curtain and the noise inside the club tripled. A guitar-heavy song blasted, and those nearest the stage, who'd been silent in captivity, began to jaw and laugh. I wondered what people enjoyed about such an atmosphere. The server returned with drinks. Lyle had belted his churro and bourbon. The server said Nellie agreed to meet us after dressing. Lyle nodded, a small smile parting his lips. He sipped his second drink, and after the server collected our empties, he said, This place is filthy. I don't even want to know how thick the grime on the walls would be if we saw it in full light. And it smells worse than a locker room. He didn't seem to mind a minute ago. Don't confuse arousal with pleasure. Oh? He shoveled a handful of candied nuts onto his tongue and chewed deliberately. Remember when we went to your aunt's place for Thanksgiving? Don't think I'm disgusting, huh? But your brother's kids were all piled on top of me when we were horsing around, and I got, you know, I felt pretty gross, but it was like just pressure and friction. I don't know what I'm saying. Come on, I socked his shoulder. That's natural, nothing deviant or weird. I've had cats sit on my lap and bring me so close to climax I had to flick their nose to shoo them. 
Lyle poured the ice from his drink into his mouth and crunched. I once fell in love with a beer at a baseball game. So cold between my legs. That's pleasure and arousal. Gardening gives me a lady boner. Now nah, you're just fucking with me. That time at Thanksgiving, Lyle and my uncle had spent the entire afternoon one-upping each other. My uncle rode dirt bikes, and he told the story about how he broke his collarbone jumping a 300-foot gorge. Landed hard on the other side and cartwheeled at 60 miles per hour. Lyle told a story about how he'd fractured his skull trying to dunk a basketball, but instead caught his brow on the backboard. My uncle said a white boy like Lyle probably couldn't jump two stairs. Lyle wanted to know where this 300-foot gorge was. It felt like we were family. And I held Lyle's eyes in mine until Nellie approached our table, followed by a one-ton truck of a man. She changed into tennis shoes and wrapped her shoulders in a white fur coat open in front to show her white bikini. I understand you wish to speak to me. The guy, clean-shaven, wore an enormous Hawaiian shirt, a tan fedora, and had three teardrop tattoos below his left eye. He folded his arms across his chest, where they rested comfortably on his thick, round belly. Looking at the Hawaiian, I addressed Nellie. Laser sent us. Lyle struggled to keep his eyes focused on Nellie's face as she writhed with the pleasure of his effort. She was a woman who had accepted her role and played to it with every movement of her body. As if on cue, she shifted her weight to one leg, bending the other slightly at the knees, so her jacket parted, giving a clear view of her tapered waist and flat belly. The faintest trace of stretch marks striped her hips. How many kids do you have? Nellie laughed. I didn't realize this was going to be a personal interview. I don't really do that. I shrugged. Fair enough. Lyle was losing his battle. His lips hung slack as his eyelids drooped. What we want to know, I knuckled the tabletop, is whether you're aware of any person or persons who send threatening text messages with graphic images to rich women. Maybe extortion, a personal grudge. We've got a client who's afraid for her life, and our best lead says you might know something. I summarized Marva's claims and shared her husband's position in the community. Whoever's doing this to her has no problem with graphic violence. Don't forget the bloody shirt. Lyle almost sounded convincing, like he could actually think about something other than sex. Nellie stood tall, pulled her coat closed, and sat in the booth next to me. I slid toward the wall, elbowing the napkin dispenser and spilling the salt shaker. Lyle righted the salt, tossing a pinch over his shoulder. He moved the napkin dispenser to give me more room. The Hawaiian stepped up to our table and turned his back to us, his body an ominous wall. Thanks, Bruce, Nellie said and turned to us. Here's the deal. Laser warned me about you. You embarrassed him, and he hates sassy. Watch it. Let me finish. You're on Laser's naughty list, so he sent you to me for a little playtime, which I guess is a way of saying I don't sell private dances. There's nothing you can do about that now. The doctors have labeled me a sadist, but I think it's worse. I enjoy torture in the most unnatural way. I need the release, and I'm grateful you're here. Lyle's eyes were wide and clear, his jaws set. What are you saying? Exactly what you think I'm saying. Lyle fished in his pocket and came up with a package of fruit snacks. Let us up. Bruce turned slowly to face us. We'll make it fun. 
The tendons in his neck twitched. Hate to send you off without a bit of pleasure. Lyle moved to stand, but Bruce pulled the table into his ribs, pinning him to the booth. Sit. Lyle doubled over, gasping. Nellie adjusted her fur wrap. At some point, you're going to ask yourself what would have happened if you'd trusted your gut. But I've owned this place for two decades and change. No one's got me yet. You're not exceptional. She kissed Bruce's enormous hand. He showed no delight in the affection, if affection is what her kiss could be called. It was a trap. I felt stupid. It's one thing to speak the obvious and another to speak the insultingly obvious. Nellie reached for Lyle and took his arm in her hand. He froze. An asterisk of pudding clung to the side of his mouth. But here's the interesting thing. I actually do know something about your Marva de Longhai. My skin prickled. I breathed to gain composure. You're lying. Wrong. Bruce nodded his chin. Mrs. DeLonghai is a trending topic today. I considered the knife in my purse. With a few strategic swipes, I could end Nellie's career. Who would want to watch a one-breasted woman with a glass eye dance on a pole beneath yellow spotlights? But that left me to deal with Bruce, and even Lyle and I, against him, were outmatched. I've got a hard head. I reached into my purse for a toothpick. Bruce eyed my hand, digging in the purse. Maybe so. How about we pretend we never met, huh? You forget we came, and we forget you know anything. Doesn't work that way. Nellie licked her lips. Plus, I'm gonna enjoy your reactions when you hear what I know. I rolled my eyes. You're not gonna strike me speechless. I've seen it all. Nellie leaned close so the warmth of her breath moistened the tip of my earlobe. Someone cut Marva DeLonghai into 20 pieces this morning. My instinct was to stab Nellie then and there, but her rebuttal had, in fact, left me speechless. You're lying, I managed after a moment. Bruce scratched his cheek beneath the teardrop tattoos. Do you have daddy issues? You seem to be fixated on lying. Nellie produced a phone from the cup of her bikini. She swiped and tapped and typed on the touchscreen before sliding it toward the center of the table. The headline read, Wife of prominent biofarm executive slain, with a photo of caution tape strung across the entrance to Borsheim's at Regency. I read on. The article detailed what it called a murder too graphic to describe and named Marva DeLonghai as the victim. The breath caught in my throat. Nellie wrapped her arm around my shoulder. It's been all over the news today. I'm not sure how you missed it. I wasn't either. Sure, the morning headlines hadn't included the victim's identity, but I should have been smart enough to do the math. I couldn't raise a word in defense. Nellie curled a long fingernail under my chin. I'll save you for last. You've got that special hatred that makes you just too much fun. She turned a hungry stare at Bruce. Let's show them the basement. Lyle tried to speak, but Nellie shot a fist across the table and relieved him of his front teeth. Bruce covered Lyle's mouth with his bare paw of a hand. Blood trickled between the big man's fingers. But Bruce's hand didn't muffle of Lyle's pain, the overhead music masked. 
They escorted us across the floor toward a door to the left of the bar. I scanned the area for witnesses. The bartender, polishing pint glasses, smiled at me. I knew then it was hopeless. I opened my mouth to scream, but Nellie kneed me in the back where my kidney lived. The pain ripped the voice from my throat and filled my eyes with white stars. Bruce opened the door beside the bar and shoved Lyle. He held the door for Nellie, who guided me down a flight of stairs. Lyle lay on the basement floor, trying and failing to stand. I'm not given to panic, but I understood our dilemma. And we hadn't even found justice for Marva. We'd come hunting a lead and stumbled into a trap. I don't know where I got it in my head that I would at least die a hero's death, but the reality of my misunderstanding made the situation more bitter than it might have otherwise been. It's probably best to keep the details to a minimum, because what we found when we reached the basement was anyone's worst nightmare. The concrete floor sloped toward a single drain. Metal rafters hung from the ceiling. A half-dozen pair of handcuffs dangled from pegs in the walls. A single steel table stood over the drain in the center of the room. Various tools strewn across it. Heavy chains, steel hooks, several whips of various lengths. A leather-wrapped switch with a knot at the end the size of a golf ball. And yes, it's true. There were dildos. Several larger than I imagined any company would manufacture. Two long knives sat next to a cattle prod. A horse bit, a bridle, and a saddle hung from hooks on the bottom of the table. Bruce walked to the far corner of the room where a single bulb in the basement dimly shone. He was obscured in shadow. Nellie slapped my face. I flinched. She tugged my arm. I stumbled. Her strength astounded. She collared me. I clawed at her hips, skin gathering under my fingernails, but she only tightened her grip. Don't turn me on. I'm not ready to love you yet. She squeezed my throat in the crook of her elbow until my vision ran dark. When I came to, I hung suspended from the ceiling by handcuffs. Lyle lay on the table gagged and naked. Stop this now. Nellie turned, wearing a smile like a slug wears salt. Ever heard about the postmortem tumescence? She thrust her hips. I bet not. Men are such exquisite creatures that they'll ejaculate even after they've been dead for 20 minutes. They stand atop the evolutionary pyramid. I can't express how much I adore them. She raised a whip and slapped Lyle's cheek. You're not the strongest specimen, I'll admit, but we'll have fun. Lyle groaned. Nellie praised the art of necrophilia, speaking at length on the pleasures of joining with the recently dead. She said a man's soul lingered for a time after his body was dispatched and that that window in time provided certain opportunities. What I do, she went behind Lyle and wound a towel around her fists, placing the excess under his chin and pulling back. As I take this towel, it's going to cause his blood pressure to spike. He writhed, but his hands were bolted to the table in manacles. His legs windmilled. Some people think it's about oxygen depletion, but what you really want is to stop up the blood. That way it all pools in his body, engorging the tissues, see? 
A sob jumped from my throat. No, I kept repeating it. No, no, no. Hot tears carved my cheeks. The scene defied reason. You're not supposed to die pointlessly. Lyle kicked until he didn't, and when he stopped, Nellie hung her weight from the towel until a popping sound said something irreparable had broken. What I'm not going to describe is how Nellie satisfied herself with his body. I'm also going to skip the part where she grafted my breasts with my own knife and how she used the other equipment in the basement to shame me. But I do need you to understand, I did die. I died and died. I think because I was too stubborn to return to the scene of my humiliation. Perhaps Marva signed a contract with the devil, if you believe in that kind of thing. Maybe the universe fell in love with her long, long legs and it couldn't bear to see her taken by violence. But every time she was murdered, Lyle's death followed soon after, then my own. Nellie had the most perverse desires. I'm convinced she wasn't human. Bruce remained in the shadows, a voyeur, a foreboding presence, the suggestion of strength, but Nellie had the strength. When she had finished with me, she drew a deep cut from the center of my right wrist to the elbow. My consciousness percolated until, like coffee brewing, it hissed and steamed to an end. By that time, the knife aroused me. I can't explain it. I've died enough to say that that death was the only one that aroused me. But Lyle was right. There's a difference between arousal and pleasure. Thank you for listening to TRBM. The theme music was provided by the ever-talented Christopher Talon. And hey, if you liked what you heard, share this show with other readers because what's the point of telling stories if nobody's listening?